0: As the author of the Big Data Framework, today's guest, Jan Willem-Middleberg, is making great strides in building the global big data community. He explains that any big data initiative must link with a corporate strategy and shares how a telecom company was able to start predicting customer retention using the approach. In any transformation, he says, the technology is the easy part. As well as discussing the impact of regulation, regarding data sharing between countries. He shares with us his 15-second acid test to prove the benefits of data analytics. Namely, do you think you know you have a good idea or know you have a good idea? Data-driven decisions transform an idea from a hunch or intuition into a quantifiable opportunity. Welcome to this episode of Implementing Best Practice in Business. We're here to help you and your organization understand and implement global best practice to help you face the business challenges of today. Join me, Richard Farrow, CEO of APMG International, in talking to leaders and practitioners who have applied these frameworks and practices to boost their productivity. They're here, willing to share their knowledge and experience to help you learn from them so you can do the same to make you more competitive in today's market. Jan Willem Middleburg is the CEO of Cybient, based in Kuala Lumpur. For most of his career, he has been involved in teaching and implementing best practice. He started Cybient with a mission to make a more sustainable world for the next generation through analytics, big data, and automation. In the last 10 years, Jan Willem has authored or co-authored a number of books covering topics such as serious gaming, service automation, and more recently, the Enterprise Big Data Framework. He holds a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and a master's in supply chain management from the Rotterdam School of Management. He is currently pursuing a second master's degree in computer and information technology at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome, Jan Willem. Thanks,
1: Richard. It's a real pleasure uh, to be on your show today. I really look forward to talking
0: to you people who have worked with you sort of describe you as someone who knows what you want and knows how to make it happen. So I'm fascinated to know why you set up the Enterprise Big Data Framework about five years ago. What inspired you to do that?
1: Well, that's a very honorable uh, description, and uh, I'm quite pleased to be described that way. Um, The the background of... of Big Data Framework is actually quite quite fascinating. because It was kind of born because we experienced the lag. Um, I was involved with doing uh, uh, large big data implementations at a couple of um, large scale enterprise organizations. And what we found while we were doing that, that there was no uniform structure on how to apply that. So a lot of big data implementations always talk around technology, data, tools but they don't talk about capability. They don't talk about the fact that you would need to set up processes in a large organization. They don't talk about the fact that you need to structure your organization in a certain way to make that happen. So kind of that, that was the, the inspiration for the big data framework. And as you know, I'm, I'm very well versed in best practices across the board. Um, um, started with best practices in project management, service management, and a variety of different ways. One of the The common denominator there is that it's very well organized. There's a very clear structure. It showcases uh, companies what they would need to do and when they would need to do it. That was lacking for the the whole domain of big data. That kind of provided the inspiration to to create that and to look at what are critical capabilities that enterprises need to move forward.
0: So are you saying then that there isn't an industry standard definition of big data? There's, There's no recommended way an organization should transform or at least there wasn't you know five years ago when you started on this quest to help organizations understand big data i mean really was it really a wild west out there with with no real guidance
1: well i i think you could say that to a certain extent um, um not that there was no complete guidance but what you really saw is that the whole conversation was driven by the technology vendors so all of the big tech companies that have a very specific interest in the fact that you're using their processors and their databases, etc. Um, so what I found, and that was really, really lacking at the time, is that there was no guidance from a vendor independent approach. Not one that is focused around how do you build up a big ent- a big data enterprise, regardless of the technology that you're using. I kind of think that's the unique part of what we were able to accomplish with the Enterprise Big Data Framework is that it's completely vendor-based model or vendor-neutral model, and it's based completely upon capabilities and best practices. So it doesn't really matter what your underlying technology stack is or what kind of industry you're in. It showcases a roadmap on how do you build those capabilities over a longer period of time. And I think that that was the, the, the gap um, if I would call it a Wild West, I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, there was, that was a significant gap that we saw. And I think because it was a large gap, that was also the reason that so many people jumped on it as a, as a framework that they could use and embrace, um, because it was uh, a uniform approach.
0: I mean, this, this is fascinating, this, this, this conversation around the technology I've seen some very impressive visualizations of large data sets in various hackathons and and it all looks fairly easy to the people that are creating these things. But, you know, what is the really tough part about understanding big data? Is it the technology stack or is it the business in- insight into what you're trying to achieve?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's um, that's the crux of the matter. And that's a very good question to ask because, Um, It's not about the technology because, yes, you're correct, some uh, data scientists, they're fully much able to create the most beautiful visualizations, which all kinds of cool graphs that are very inspiring. However, where it it lacks is that you also need, especially in a larger enterprise, you need to make sure that uh, big data is embedded in a sustainable way and that there's a business case for it. So ultimately... Um, it's a business decision. So you need to make more money than you spend. So it's very easy to to kind of um, send a couple of data scientists into the wild and say, you know, come up with some beautiful visualizations. But in the end, it's around where where does that make value for for a big company? And that's also why in a lot of larger enterprises, what I've experienced close by is that they either scale down or they, they don't consider it a success because they were not able to actually showcase that this is a sustainable model and that um, um, people who actually do all this kind of analysis bring that amount of value. So that's, that's the line I think you need to balance. And, and what I always um, start explaining when, when I start with a the, the, uh, quick introduction of what the framework is trying to accomplish is that you always need to start from a strategy part. So, so what is it what you're uh, um, trying to accomplish? So you probably know with big data, um, there are so many uh, data sets out there. You, you can potentially spend the rest of your life analyzing all kind of cool and nice things. Um, and, and that's also what you see happening every now and then on the internet. There's a cool visualization. But the question is, does that visualization make any money? Does that bring any kind of business value towards a large company? And, and that's where the difficulty
0: part is. So, so, yeah, when you're know, working with clients and, and sort of trying to get them to adopt the big data framework and, and to move down this, this, this transformation, do you have a favorite story? Do you have a favorite example of something that was uncovered by an organization that added real value that wasn't really considered in the past?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a lot of um, use cases that you now start to see to become a little bit more industry standard, but they were not so common a couple of years ago. One, one of the fav- um, my favorite case studies is, is, a, is a company who embraced this and, and did a project in Taiwan. It's a big, big telco company. Um, and what they did is that they, they started to look at all of their customer data. And um, what we uh, looked at is, can we build a predictive model that based on the behavior of that customer on their website and on their, the, the amount of usage of their phone bills, etc., can we predict whether that person at the end of their contract is going to switch a provider, which is a concept nominous churn, or not? And that model proved to be uh, tremendously accurate. So if there is no engagement, if people don't visit the website, it's a very strong uh, uh, telling tale that people are not interested in renewing their contract. And by separating that and, and by specifically targeting that group, they were able to um, reduce that churn with around fifteen percent, which which is in terms of business value, now that we talk about that, is tremendous.
0: I mean that 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 sounds pretty intuitive to me. So is big data really about providing the evidence to support or not to support a hunch or an intuition? So you're driven by the data rather than by what you think might be the case.
1: I absolutely believe that. Um, a lot of organizations still make decisions because um, they, they think that's the best way forward. Um, what I always try to do um, when, when somebody comes up in, in our company with an idea or something is, is I always ask the question, do you think that's a good idea or do you know that that's a good idea? <laughs> and the difference in that question is, is quite exemplary on, have you done your research? Do you have the data to back up those facts? And I think if every manager were to ask that question you know, a little bit more often, then you get more towards a data-driven uh, uh, enterprise. And uh, all of the, the facts show that in the end, if you take data-driven decisions consistently, whether it's in marketing or finance or uh, any kind of product development decision, um, Ultimately those decisions are better than just people who make the decisions based upon what what they what they think is a good idea. And that's that's a numbers game. And I'm not gonna say that, you know, obviously there are some brilliant inventors who come up with an idea that they completely invented by themselves. But generally speaking, across the whole board, if you in a larger company, if you take more data driven decisions, then you will outperform competitors.
0: I I think that's very true. I can understand that. Um, But with big data, won't data privacy laws restrict this? As as we move towards, well, I think the the world is moving down two different paths. There's this view that can I get the data out of my organization to enable me to make data-driven decisions? And there's another part that says any of my personal information I want to protect and you can't use it. So what's the impact of the data privacy laws on organizations' ability to mine and use data to enable them to make those data-driven decisions?
1: Well, I I think you're touching upon what is going to be one of the biggest questions of the 21st century, because um, um, what you're going to, or at least what I'm seeing, is that um, the world is moving two different ways. So um, I'm based in in, uh, Asia-Pacific. Uh, where there is a lot more freedom when it comes to data uh, uh, privacy in Europe, they're uh, being uh, way and way more strict. So it's it's going in two different uh, uh, directions, uh, very very clearly, and it's it's a very difficult question to answer because um, it, it all depends a little bit on, on what is your belief system and um, uh, what is the value that you or an organization places on data privacy. Um, so we, we, uh, let, let me express it a little bit in terms of, of, of the scandals that we've seen across the world. I think one of the, the, the most famous cases, is obviously, uh, Cambridge Analytica, that used uh, publicly available data to, to manipulate how people can vote uh, and and are able or at least claim that they had an influence on the outcome of elections. Um, obviously, that is one of the dangers of um, big data because... The whole world, whether it's the stock markets or the way that people vote or the, the, the things that people do on a, on a general basis, is moving in similar patterns. Uh, and the big paradox of our time is that everyone thinks they're unique. But if you put it on a larger scale, then we're all uh, behaving very similarly. And the way I always like to explain this is, is uh, think about your neighborhood. You are living in a particular neighborhood because you fall within a particular income class. Um, you like to uh, have, you have a particular family situation. You like to go to particular grocery stores, which might be nearby. You live and work in a, in a, in a building close by. So if you take that on a, on a more uh, macro scale, you're going to see that all the people that live in, in your street have similar properties. You'll still, on a, on a micro level, find that you're very individual and very unique. But in a bigger picture, that is a completely different dynamic than uh, another town or in another country. So it all depends on, on what kind of scale you look at things. And, and the big paradox of our time is that even though we all think we're more individualistic, we're moving more in, in similar patterns because the data-driven decisions that companies make are based upon those target groups. So, um, yeah, a lot of um, discussion is currently going on to to the extent of what is personal or private information. But the fact that you live in a particular street, uh, street, which is probably public information, will already tell me something, will tell me quite a lot about what kind of things you probably like. And and that's the difficult part. Uh, and, and there's no real clear answer, I would say, at this moment on how new regulations should or could even cover that towards the future.
0: It's a real problem, isn't it? Because... The internet, you know, says, basically there is one. There's one world. You know, we're all part of that world. Information crosses borders. Nobody knows a physical boundary. Yet you now see governments starting to revert back to their national territory, and you, know, you can't. If you use my data in my country, you can't take it out of my country because I don't want it to go somewhere else. So, as you say, it's going to be a huge challenge on, on how organizations can, can grow and use the information they have against the nationalistic view about we want to keep it within our boundaries. So do you think we're going to see the growth of things like data trusts where people sign up to share in some data under some form of legal or quasi-legal agreement? to to deal with this issue, or do you think there's another route out of the problem?
1: No, well, if if I would have a a clear route out of the problem, I would have probably published something on that or or to have a a recommendation in in that area. And um, I I would say every government um, in the world is struggling with this question to a certain extent. Because um, some of the, the, the elements are easy. Uh, you know, where do we store data? We can kind of still make that within boundaries of, of a data center somewhere on Earth. But it already gets way more complex when we're talking about um, features of behavior or the fact on how we're thinking or what we're looking at online. Because that is almost untrackable um, um, where in which particular country that, it, what, that is happening. Um, every different, what well, well, most of the websites you visit will be hosted in different servers in different locations. So it, this morning I was on the APMG website, which I think will be hosted in the, U, or in the, U, in the UK. Um, our website is obviously hosted here in Malaysia. So only that that issue alone is is an unsolvable kind of uh, uh, problem that we're going to get into. So the, the data trust that you're mentioning I think is a very interesting development um, and I, I support the, the idea behind it in the sense that you, you are going to give active consent in order to use something. Um, but whether it's going to be practical and workable, that's a whole different thing. And, and and that also brings me towards kind of a separate discussion. I don't know if we have time for that, but it's um, the extent to, to which people are willing to pay for these kinds of uh, services. Um, One of the very famous phrases that that you hear a lot in in, uh, the domain of big data is, if the service is free, you are the product. Um, And whereas there's a lot of people who, who want to be participants in these trusts or that would like to have control, at the same time, sign up for a free Gmail account and they have a Facebook profile and uh, they they do expect a lot of services to be free, so that's also a very uh, big um equilibrium that is is not an easy question to answer
0: yeah and and I suppose it's because we've been brought up on the internet is free I mean if you think about it, imagine we had to pay for emails you know, so that whenever lives right <laughs> And, and it may not be a bad way, of course, of actually dealing with the huge energy costs associated with, with running server farms and that. Yeah, you know, If you had to register and it cost you a cent or 0.1 of a cent every time you received an email or every time you sent an email, then what would happen? You know, people's behavior would change. But Absolutely. But, yeah. but I think from a competitive
1: perspective, there will always be companies, whether that is, uh, within regulated markets or not, that if let's say that the biggest companies in the world are going to charge for for um, for paid services like email, then even at that moment in time there will be other companies who are going to start offering it for free, and people will unmouse switch towards the free service. So um, this personal inclination that we have in order to use free services comes at a cost, and that cost is obviously. The whole issues around that data privacy that we just mentioned—a straightforward way out of this—I uh, I, I actually believe there isn't. Um, but it's it's up to 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 corporates and and larger companies to find the most I would say respectful way and the most uh, fair way in order to deal with that.
0: Yeah, well, sort of one final question for you. Um, you said you started life in in the world of uh, best practice and in the world of uh, programs and project management. There's a growing group of professionals who now believe that data analytics will transform the success of projects, predominantly through better forecasting by actually getting the facts about what actually happened on the project rather than those very rosy memories of what people thought happened on the project. Do you Do you see... The use of data analytics and big data in in the area of project management something that's going to accelerate, maybe grow rapidly over the next few years, <clears throat> or is it just in the mix of the the world of data analytics?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, you could, um, and I'm probably going to say something that doesn't make me very popular, but you could say that the 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 project managers have come awake a little bit in the sense that hey. Through data, we can actually see what is happening in the project. Um, so, yeah, I think that will be a massive trend. The difficult part, how, however, is that I know quite a number of project managers in uh, um, in my career. However, very few have uh, some kind of know how to, to write any kind of line of code or any read any kind of uh, computer programming. So that's going to be the, the big challenge because saying we would like to have those insights in the project does mean that you need to get some skills and some knowledge to dive into that. And and, and that's where the major um, uh, pro- well, not problem, but a challenge is going to be, is um, uh, requiring some more technical skills to actually look into that. Um, but, because but, this doesn't happen automatically.
0: No. But you could see the growth of the data analyst or the savvy um project program support office person actually majoring on the ability to draw data out of databases of an organisation's projects put them up in a in an easily easily understood way for the project managers the project boards to consider Absolutely. so you could see that working quite well because you are working in an area where there should be lots of data and
1: Absolutely. there should be
0: lots of historic data
1: no, you're that's, right. That's 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 100 correct, and I think we're going to see that more and more. Um, and it kind of brings me back to, to one of the previous points, with, because through this data analysis and the analytics, you actually know what is happening in the project instead of what you think is happening in the project. And I think that's that's the major um, um, mind shift change that that I'd like to, to uh, people to see and to consider is that this is an opportunity to kind of make more fact-driven decisions. And and whether that's in project management or even IT services or even in the way that we design systems or architectures, those kind of fact-based, data-driven decisions ultimately will be in the benefit of a company if you compare it to competitors.
0: Fascinating conversation, Jan. I'm sure we could go on and on and on. So many, many thanks... (laughs) Many thanks for, for finding the time to talk to me today and a good luck in in your crusade to get to more and more people to to take to a data-driven decision-making approach to make the world a better place. Thank you Absolutely. very
1: much. Thanks so much, uh, Richard, for hosting me. As, as always, it's, it's a big pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you for listening. We're always keen to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can find all the information in the show notes below. Please visit apmg-international.com to find out more about our accredited training and the certifications that support them that are related to the topics discussed in this series. I hope you've enjoyed today and I look forward to you joining future episodes while we continue our exploration into best practice and the benefits it brings to global business. Thank you.